Paul, called by the will of God to be an apostle of Jesus Christ, and our brother Sosthenes, to the church of God that is in Corinth, to those sanctified in Jesus Christ, called to be saints together with all those who in every place call upon the name of our Lord Jesus Christ, both their and ours. Grace to you and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. I, I give thanks to my God always for you because of the grace of God that was given to you in Christ Jesus, that in every way you were enriched in him in all speech and all knowledge, even as the testimony about Christ was confirmed among you, so that you are not lacking in any gift, as you wait for the revealing of our Lord Jesus Christ, who will sustain you to the end, guiltless in the day of our Lord Jesus Christ. God is always faithful, by whom you were called into the fellowship of his Son, Jesus Christ our Lord. I appeal to you, brothers, by the name of our Lord Jesus Christ, that all of you agree, and that there be no divisions among you, but that you be united in the same mind, in the same judgment. For it has been reported to me by Chloe's people that there is quarreling among you, my brothers. What I mean is that each one of you says, I follow Paul, or I follow Apollos, or I follow, follow Cephas, or I follow Christ. Is Christ divided? Was Paul crucified for you? Or were you baptized in the name of Paul? I thank God that I baptized none of you except Crispus, Crispus and Gaius, so that no one may say that you were baptized in my name. I did baptize all of the household of Stephanus. Beyond that, I do not know whether I baptized anyone else, for Christ did not send me to baptize but to preach the gospel, and not with words of elegant wisdom lest the cross of Christ be emptied of its power. Amen. May the Lord bless the reading of his word this morning. I'm thankful for those who read the passage for us. We're beginning a new series today on unity in the church from the book of 1 Corinthians. Now, we usually say that this is Paul's letter first letter to the church at Corinth, and that's not really true, because in chapter 5, he mentions a previous letter. That is a letter that is lost to us. It's not in, included in the canon. Uh, we speculate probably because the things that were contained in that letter are repeated and explained more fully in this letter, but this is the first letter of Paul to the uh, church at Corinth that is in our New Testament and it has as its theme as stated in verse 10 of chapter 1 unity in the church now I, I don't have time to spend a, a long explanation about the church at Corinth and the city of Corinth but just briefly the city of Corinth was the capital of Achaia it is it was the richest city in all of Greece in its day because all of the commerce passed through there. Uh, some of you, how many of you have ever been to Corinth? I'm just curious. Um, Shelley went with me there, I think. Um, 
yeah, Brenda was there with me too. Um, we got to see the canal, but Shelley, you realize the canal was not there in Paul's day. They carried those ships not through a canal from one sea to the other to bypass the perilous seas at, at the south. They carried them over land or carried the goods from one ship to another ship. But all of the commerce of that area passed through Corinth. And so it was a very rich and powerful city, but it was also a city of debauchery. Uh, we, we, some of you have been in the military, and you know what some of the cities around military posts are like. Uh, naval uh, ports have a reputation, and that's the kind of city that Corinth was. There were all kinds of temples there, including temples where there was temple prostitution. If you, Our minds won't go there, but that's the kind of city that Corinth was. Paul left Athens. He had had a successful ministry in Philippi, planted a church there, a successful ministry in Thessalonica, planted a church there. He had some time in Athens and then went to the city of Corinth. And Charles, it's like, um, I, I was trying to remember the founder of Salvation Army who said some would like to, to preach within the sound of the chapel bell, but as for me, give me a life-saving station at the gates of hell. That's exactly what Paul had. He went to a city that would be considered the very gates of hell and planted a church. He planted a church there and then left it behind to continue his mission work and his church planting. And someone has well said that he planted a church in the worst place in the world. And the problem was after he left, the world got into the church. That is a good description, I'm afraid, of our day. We have been placed in the world as a life-saving station at the gates of hell, but sometimes churches allow the world to get into the church. I, I want you to think about that church and think about how good churches go bad. How do good churches go bad? Now, I want you to know, first of all, that the church at Corinth had been a good church. In verses 4 through 9, you'll see that, first of all, they were, they were genuinely saved by grace. Paul said, I give thanks to my God always for you because of the grace of God that was given you in Christ Jesus. For by grace are you saved. If you have never been saved this morning, I need to explain to you, you'll never be good enough to make it to heaven. You cannot work hard enough. You cannot do enough. You can never earn your way to Christ. I'm glad that you're in church this morning, or I'm glad that you're watching on the live stream. But please understand, there's nothing you can do here to earn your way to heaven. We are saved by the grace of God. We are saved through our faith in Jesus Christ. He has paid it all. He has done everything that needs to be done. The only thing that you can do is accept 
His free gift, the gift of His grace, and believe on Him as the Son of God. Repent of your sins and come to Him. And in Jesus Christ, there is sufficient grace to save anyone and sufficient grace to save everyone. They were saved. Please do not misunderstand from what you hear from the rest of the book. Do not think that they were lost. The fact that the world had gotten into the church and had caused problems and they were doing wicked things, they were doing dumb things. You know, sometimes we just do dumb things. I was waiting for an amen. For those who are on the live stream, you can't hear the crowd. It's one of the things I've discovered. When You need to be louder when you're making those noises and when you clap and when you say amen so they can hear you. It's, it's, it, Melody, it's just this giant silence on the, on the live stream. But I sure thought I'd get an amen for that. Uh, we do dumb things. That does not mean we are not saved. The grace of God is sufficient for our salvation. They were genuinely saved by grace. Not only that, but they were enriched in Christ. In every way you were enriched in Him. When you think about all that we have received in Christ, not just the gift of eternal life, but He has given us abilities, uh, Gail teaches a class. Charles teaches a class. Uh, Zach is up here doing what I always wished I could do, uh, play the guitar. Terry has the ability to play the guitar. Some of you can sing. By the way, some of you need to be using your enrichment to the glory of God. We, we had the video a minute ago about that. Use what you've been given in Christ to His glory. By the way, I also need to say, and, and I don't know where this quote originated. I used it a couple of weeks ago. I'll repeat it again. Never allow what God has given you to keep you from serving Him. Use what you've been given. Your gifts, your wealth, your business. Use everything that you've been given to the glory of God. They were enriched in Christ. Not only that, but they were confirmed in their testimony, that is, the testimony of Christ and His power was confirmed in them. The testimony about Christ was confirmed among you. Can, can your neighbors, can your co-workers, can the people around you see Jesus working in your life? Their lives had been changed later on. We will read, Jacob, about what their lives had been like before. I mean, there is a description and you think those were the worst people in the world. And Paul sums it up by saying, And such were some of you. That means there is transforming power in Jesus Christ in our faith in Him. And that had been confirmed by the change in their lives. It also says about them that they were spiritually gifted. You do not lack any spiritual gift. Now, the gifts of the Spirit, the miraculous gifts of the Spirit, in that day are very different than the gifts that we receive today. But this church was a gifted church. The problem, by the way, that we'll run into later is that giftedness had caused competition among them. 
They were arguing over that. They were fighting over that. There was conceit and there was arrogance about that. Uh, let me tell you, the Spirit is not at work when there is competition about our giftedness. You can claim the gifts of the Spirit, but if there is pride, there is no gift. Believe me, the Spirit of God does not give the gift of pride. If there is competition, the Spirit is not in it. The Spirit of God is never the author of human competition. This was a gifted church, but it became a problem in the church because of their spiritual gifts, or maybe I should say their desire for spiritual gifts. It even says about them that they were watching for Christ's return. You eagerly wait for our Lord Jesus Christ to be revealed. That's a high compliment. By the way, could that be said of Faith Baptist Church? Could that be said of our membership? Are we eagerly waiting for the return of Jesus Christ? I've got to be honest with you. There are a lot of times right now with the political turmoil, with the racial tension, with the class warfare, with all the junk that's going in, need I mention COVID? I mean, all I've got to do is look at the mask in the congregation this morning, and I'm reminded of what we're fighting. And Joe, there's been a lot of times that I've said, along with John, even so, come Lord Jesus. We need to be watching for Christ's return. And they were, and they were sustained by Christ. Jesus Christ, who will sustain you to the end. Everything I've just mentioned, all of those things, God is able through Jesus Christ Delane, to keep us strong and to keep us going if we'll just trust in Him. They were sustained by Christ. But it didn't last. Um, Warren Wearsby says of that church that they were divided, they were defiled, and they were disgraced. I wish I could come up with sermon titles like that. I mean, but something had gone wrong. I said the world had gotten in the church, so how did that church? Listen, good churches can go wrong. Good churches, churches that have been good in the past, sometimes quit, sometimes fade, and sometimes die. Church, good churches can go bad. And I, I think we need to look at how the church at Corinth became a divided church, and that serves as a warning for us. By the way, the subtitle says, How to Split a Church. Now listen, I'm not saying that so that you'll be motivated to do so. This is not a lesson, Nancy, on how to do that, and please do it. This is a lesson on how it happens, and please don't avoid this formula for division, how to split a church. Well, for one thing, that church was divided because there, was, there were arguments and there were quarrels in the church. It says in verse 11, it's been reported to me by Chloe's people that there is quarreling among you. When you talk about quarreling, that is an indication to me that people are not listening to each other. They're arguing, they're fighting, 
They're divided over personalities, over preferences, over offenses. By the way, the, I, I will tell you that in the Barnabas class right now, we're going through a book called The Peacemaker, which is the biblical guide to conflict resolution. Now, that's not just an, uh, an advertisement for my class, but it is a recommendation of the book. If you're not in that class, I recommend you get the book and that you read it. It is the biblical guide to conflict resolution. We're not always good at resolving conflict. We have two ears and one mouth. You get my point or do I need to say it? That means we need to be twice as ready to listen as to speak. But we choose our preferences. I prefer this kind of music. I prefer this style of building. I prefer on and on and on it goes. I want things my way. Listen, when you're in a congregation of this size, uh, if you want to turn it into a congregation one-tenth of this size, just insist upon your preferences. We are supposed to be humble and think first of others. We are supposed to be willing to take up our cross and die to ourselves. And the church is supposed to be more important than I am. And every one of us needs to be willing to say that and end the quarrel before it begins. There was quarreling in the church. There was arguing in the church. There was also cliques. There were cliques in the church. He says, every one of you says, I follow Paul, or I follow Apollos, or I follow Cephas, or I follow Christ. The problem was that members were separating into different groups and claiming to be followers of previous pastors. Now think about that. I follow Paul. Well, he was our first pastor. He was the best we ever had. Well, I think Apollos was better. And I'm a follower of Apollos. By the way, neither of them were still there. I have said for years, from looking at, at by experience, that the best pastor there ever was is the one who's no longer there. And Petey, the new pastor, when he's always hearing, well, Brother Freddie did it this way, or Brother Robert did it this way, or Brother Dean, and on and on. By the way, it is for that reason, if you read the book I wrote for new missionaries, one of the things I said, if you're pastoring a church, do not have that church be your sending church as a new missionary. For one thing, the enemies that you had in the church, and every pastor has them, Larry Fincher says that 7% of every congregation is against the pastor at some point. It's not always the same 7%, by the way. But if you're pastoring a church and you leave, guess what? Those 7% or 70%, you know, depending on the situation, that dislike you still will, and now they're your sending church. Not only that, but you were the pastor and you left. It doesn't matter what they thought of you when you were a pastor. When you leave, 
you're the best pastor they ever had. And pity the new pastor when he has to always listen to, well, Brother Lynn did it this way. Brother Lynn did this. Brother Lynn did that. By the way, when I left for Africa, I made sure I told the church that I pastored, don't do that. Guess what they did, Roger? Soon as I left, they told the new pastor, well, Brother Lynn did this, Brother Lynn did that. And so the best pastor there ever was, by the way, for the missionary, the reason I say that is now you not only have those enemies in the church against you, but the new pastor who has to listen to all that now hates you, and he's your pastor. That was a recipe for disaster. But that's what they were doing. This sounds ridiculous. But they were choosing up. Well, I'm of the Freddie Holmes clan. Or I'm of the Robert Francis clan. I, for those who are listening, don't have any idea of who those men are. They were the best pastors this church ever had. <laughs> and I've said, I want to be the best pastor you've ever had. That doesn't mean it's a competition. There should be, be there should be no competition. Paul left. Apollos left. And the guy that's there has the job of trying to be the best pastor they ever had, no matter who he is. See, when I say that, it's not that I'm competing with those others. I just know I need the grace of God to be the best pastor I can be. But please, when God takes me out of the way by the undertaker or the uppertaker, don't make me some saint and say, I honor Brother Lynn. It divides the church. Listen, Churches get in trouble, whether it's over the pastor or some powerful leader within the church, when the church becomes about personalities. It's not about me, and it's not about you. It's all about Jesus, and it has to be. Once it becomes about any individual, any personality, it will cause division. It's all about Him. It's not my church. It's not your church. It's His church, and let's keep it His church. There were cliques, and so the church was divided over the cliques, over the personalities. There was also conceit. They were arguing about who baptized them. Oh, Paul baptized me. Or Apollos baptized me. I was baptized. By the way, I forgot to say, some of them, Jerry, were super spiritual. They said, I'm just after Jesus. I'm just after Jesus. Well, that sounds really good, but if it's a matter of pride and arrogance, then it causes division. Is Christ divided? Was Paul crucified for you? Were you baptized in the name of Paul? I thank God that I baptized none of you except Crispus and Gaius so that no one may say that you were baptized in my name. 
I ran across a quote that I put together back in 2017. It's been the philosophy of my ministry for 40 years. The quote said, if a missionary does everything and without him nothing gets done, he is not doing his job. You see, my responsibility is to enable you for ministry. That's why I rejoice the more people who are on this stage leading in worship, reading the scriptures, the more people who volunteer for ministry in the church, the happier I am. This is not about me. I didn't, it, it's not just me. It's all of us together that are supposed to be doing this ministry. Oh, I'm proud that I get to do this. Careful. It's not about you. It's all about Jesus. There is a certain pride and there is a certain content that will get you in certain problems and certain trouble and will certainly be divisive in the church. Be careful of your pride and be careful of your arrogance. Those are the things that brought division in the church and that is how you split a church. Just make it about personalities. Just make it about pride and argue your way till the church is dead and just needs to be buried. That's what happened at Corinth. But I got to tell you, there's, there's a better way. Now, Don, I've cheated because I'm covering these verses out of order. I like to finish on a positive note. Now, I need to explain to you, Rodney, what Paul was doing. He had, to, uh, he had to rebuke the church at Corinth because of what was going on. So, Billy, he was telling them the good things first. By the way, if you ever have to rebuke someone uh, or tell them something's wrong, can I give you the advice that you say positive things first? Tell them what's good. Um, I've tried for years to get my wife, when she's proofreading my writing, to not just, uh, JV, she's bad about just pointing out what's wrong. I need her to say first, it's good overall. Looks good. You just need to change these few things. And so if, if you've got to correct someone, that includes your children, that includes your spouse, that includes co-workers, Start off on a positive note and tell them what's right first. And that's what he was doing. And then he gave them the formula for unity that I'm about to give you. He says, this is, this is good, but this is how it ought to be. But let me tell you how it is. Maybe I should have preached it that way, but Darren, I like finishing on a positive note. So I've done the positive, I've done the negative. But here is the message that will carry us for the, for the rest of the book. That is how to bring unity from division. In verse 10, it says, Now I plead with you, brethren, by the name of our Lord Jesus Christ, that you all speak the same thing, and that there be no divisions among you, but that you be perfectly joined together in the same mind and in the same judgment. That is the formula for unity. 
What that means is this, very quickly. This is how to unify a divided church. The members must agree and say the same thing. That is, they have to agree on the church's doctrine. What do we say about the Bible? What do we say about God and who He is? What do we say about Jesus Christ? What is it that we say about eternal security? What do we say about baptism? We must speak the same message. Now that doesn't mean, Michael, that, that we, we have to agree totally on everything. Somebody has well said, Benjamin, that if two people totally agree on everything, one of them is redundant. You and I might disagree on minor points of doctrine, but David, we better agree on the basics. We better agree on the fundamentals. And as a church, we need to know what we believe and say what we believe clearly and make sure that we say the same thing. We agree on doctrine. By the way, when all the other things come around, let's agree on what we can agree on. Doctrine is one of them. The members must also agree on the church's purpose. He says, be perfectly joined together in the same mind. That means, Mike, we've we got to agree on where we're going. In Hosea, uh, I'm sorry, Amos chapter 3, verse 3, it says, can two people walk together without agreeing on the direction? Now, I've heard that used for doctrinal differences. Can pe two people walk together except they agree? Kim, you can use that and mean that anybody that disagrees with you on anything, you're, you're not together and it's okay to split. That's not what it's talking about. But very clearly, Tim, you and I can't walk to the same place. We can't walk together unless we agree on where we're going. If I think we're going that way and you think we're going that way, we're not going to be together in this. Listen, it is tremendously important that a church agree on why the church exists. But if you ask the typical member of a Baptist church, I guess I could say, say the typical member of a typical Baptist church typically does not know the purpose of the church. Why do we exist? What is our purpose? What are our goals? And it is important that we agree on our direction. Not only that, once we've agreed on what we're saying, our doctrine, and we've agreed on the purpose of the church, we've got to agree on how to get there. What programs, what plans what goals will we set? Be perfectly joined together, he says, in the same mind. And then he says, and in the same judgment. Judgment, that means decisions. It's one thing to decide where we're going. It's much more difficult than to agree on how we're going to get there. Um, Brenda and I are packing up the travel trailer heading out for vacation, and it is stressful to agree. I make it easy. She decides what goes in the trailer, and I decide that how we're going to drive to get there, and I do the driving. We are of the same judgment. Somebody said, give her what she wants, 
and you'll always be happy. Well, maybe. But you understand, we have to know why the church exists, but then we have to be able to agree on how we get there. And I think, perhaps, I think that if we can agree on the doctrine, and we can agree on where we need to go, and what kind of church we need to be, I think agreeing on the programs of how to get there become much more simple. Listen, we need a unified church. We began this year, and I began my year with you as your interim pastor and then as your pastor, and I focused on a divided church, on repentance, forgiveness, healing, and unity. And God was good. God gave us those things. There was a movement of His Spirit in this church, and I glory in what God has done. The additions we've had. We had all of that, and then came COVID. Now we are beset by political turmoil. We are beset by racial division. There are some who would say defund the police, which would turn our nation into anarchy. These are perilous times. And it would be easy for this church to become a shipwreck. Charles, I was reading in my reading yesterday in the book of Acts, and I read in Acts chapter 27 where Paul said to the sailors on the ship, Take courage, for, the, for last night an angel of God to whom I belong. You get that? To whom I belong and whom I serve stood beside me. And he said, don't be afraid. Listen, brethren, that's a message we need today. Don't be afraid because I believe God. Listen, God wants a unified church. And I ask you this morning, will we be a unified church? On what can we agree? Who do you believe? Don't tell me I believe the Democrats or I believe the Republicans or I, do, I believe Fallacy or I believe... I believe God! I believe that God is in charge and God knows what He's doing. To whom do you belong? Again, don't tell me Democrat or Republican. Tell me that you belong to God. I am His. He died for me. He purchased me with His own blood. And I belong to Jesus. Who do you serve? Yourself? Say that again. Amen. I serve Jesus Christ out of the mouth of babes. And so I'm asking this morning, I'm asking those of you who are with us online, who do you believe? To whom do you belong?
And who do you serve? 